Hello, I have the lovely Gordon with me this morning. Hi, Gordon. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thanks, Donna. Thank you very much for having me on in the first place. Uh, my name's Gordon Brown. Um, I also write under the name Morgan Cry, but my latest book's under Gordon J. Brown. And there's good reason for switching between the names, which we'll get to at some point down the line. I've got, this is my 10th book out that's just out the week before last. So that's 10 crime and thriller novels, uh, a couple of series is in there. And there's another new book coming out in March. That will be my 11th out there. Um, and before that, and while that, I've been marketing uh, for sales and marketing for oh, getting on for 40 years. That sounds terrible. I'm, I'm now beginning to feel really old. I used to say I have 20 years marketing experience. Then I'm 25. Now I'm going to stop saying it because it's just making me sound really, really old. But that's that's why I did. I've been marketing for everything from beer to technical to uh, sport, you name it. I've TV, I've marketed it. So that's what I do. But most of the time now, I write. Awesome. Yeah, and I imagine that's much more fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Uh, did you always know that you wanted to write? I kind of, when I was a kid, I used to read a lot. I mean, I was, I've always read tons and I used to scribble stuff and I had a teacher. I was talking to someone this the other day. There was a teacher called Mr. Dick who was an English teacher at our secondary school. And back then, English tended to be quite formal. It wasn't the same as it probably is for a lot of the kids now. And one of the things, the biggest feature was Shakespeare, which, you know, love it. I just never get into Shakespeare. But on a Friday first couple of periods in a Friday, I think it was, what he used to do was take the reins off everybody and just say, if you fancy writing something, just write something. And then he would read it and he would come back and give you some feedback. And like, it would be good or bad, but I love doing that. I just, that escapism is exactly what I still do now. I just do it more for a living. But that escapism is what, what started me. But I didn't really kick off writing oh, until 12, 13 years ago when I got my first deal. Up till then, I had written other books. There are books in my suitcase, right, which have been written by hand, which are horrible, horrible things. I mean, like, they're never going to get published on the basis. I remember Chris Brookmeyer once saying that the reason his first books didn't get published was that publishers have an unreasonable bias against shit. So he's, <laughs> and, and I kind of I hate I soon said that bad word, but... For me, it was, it was you learn, you write and you learn, and, and therefore I did do attempts at it, but I never really sat down and did it serious. I mean, I was just writing when I had the time. So I've always, I've always had it in my head to do it, and I've done it, and I've, I've written stuff off and on, uh, but it wasn't until my first real serious attempt to get published that I actually said, right, okay, I'm going to give this a serious go. And what motivated you? What made you think, okay, now now's the time I'm going to really try? Uh, strangely, it was a set of circumstances. I used to be the marketing director at a TV station and I was working on contract. So I have, I have still have got my own marketing business and I used to contract into businesses. And I was contracting in and it was coming to the end. I was brought in for a specific role and it was finishing. And they asked to be extending it and it's just not me. I didn't want to go back to doing full time. So I got to about the April, May of the year it was finishing. And I just said to my wife, look, I'm going to give it one go. Like I've tried to write things before, but I'm going to give it an absolute crack at writing something. And for no other reason than because the way my business was, I, I'm a 
because I was doing consultancy, I could actually find some time uh, to write. But then I'll write anywhere. I'll write on a plane, or a train, an automobile. I'll write in a park bench. I'll write in a pub. I don't care. I just write anywhere. So that's what I did. I just sat down. I had one line in my head. All I ever wanted, what you call it, the last thing I wanted to do was fall. I had one line, and that's all I had. And I wrote for three months. And then edited for a month, sent it off to four publishers, and one of them came back. If, if I was to say it was that smooth, it sounds great. It doesn't usually happen. The only downside was the publisher that came back says, uh, send me the rest of the book. So what I'd done was sent three chapters, synopsis, standard fare. Off it went. He came back and he said, love that. Could you send the rest? I went, oh, my God. Well, someone wants my work. So I'm on the laptop, banging, sending it off. <laughs> and then about two weeks later, a guy called Xander uh, Wedderburn, a small publisher in Edinburgh, still around, called Fledgling, uh, said, come through for a coffee. So I goes through for a coffee. I thought, oh, go have a coffee with a publisher. I thought, oh, this is amazing. I get through and I sat with him. And he said, I loved the first three chapters. See the rest. It's, I'm not going to say the bad word. And I went, <laughs> what? He goes, it doesn't work. He says, typos, plot holes. It's not cohesive. I thought, oh, God. And then I thought, can't be that bad. Because I, ha I had spent a bit of time on it, but I thought maybe it was. So I had a look at it. In my excitement at getting an email from a publisher asking for the rest of the book, I didn't send the latest version. I sent a version that was at least a month and a bit old, not long after I first finished it. And it was just a mess. And that's what he'd read, but he still called me in to see. And eventually I sent him the, the version I had, which he then helped tidy up. But even though it was bad, they still signed me. Oh. That's amazing. What a story as well. And did you always know that it was going to be like crime thrillers? And Not at all. I, I haven't, I was talking about this. I've only just come to realise this sounds a bit odd. People always say, how do you write? You know, like, and, and I love writing first thing in the morning. I'll get up at five and write anywhere. And, and I'll write with a laptop on my lap. Same rusty Mac that I've had for 10 years now. This is only my second computer and it's still going. And I used to say to people, I used to say, right, okay, so an idea springs up and you start. I, I used to start with the first line and I used to go into an idea. And then I began to realise, actually, I don't have an idea at all when I start. I, I usually have a line, and that line isn't even one that's spinning around my head. It'll be something daft like, I'll say, right, I'm going to start the next book. No idea what it's going to be about. Don't know where it's going or what it's going to do. All I'll do is start writing. And then what I'll do is write a scene or a conversation or a setting. And then what I'll do is I'll write my way into an idea. So one of the things I end up doing is I end up writing an idea and then that idea just starts to blossom and then from there I have to move on from it. Yeah, that sounds... Oh, are you getting music? Yeah. Uh... I'm sorry, I, the reason I'm asking you the question, I have been guilty as heck of letting my iTunes or I, Apple Music run in the background. And, and it, it's on like a, a, a long track where it's quiet. I did it once and suddenly somebody got ACDC halfway through there. <laughs> and I'm not that big an ACDC fan. It just happened to be the next track up. So as a result, it was a bit weird in the middle of the interview. Yeah, I've got um, Alexa playing radio, so I can turn it down if it's too bad. But I've got a budgie as well. It's really loud. That's why I'm wearing the earphones. I'm hoping it blocks out because it's so loud in my head. <laughs> 
Yeah. So where were we? I, well, I threw you there. Where were we writing? So that's how I do it. I, I, I write my way into an idea. It might be page three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It could be late on before I get the idea. I just keep writing. I just I, I write about 2,000 words a day when I'm on song. I, I just keep going. That's how I do it. And I write myself into an idea. And, and it only dawned on me about two books ago that that's what I was doing. I always convinced myself I had some flash of inspiration in the road or in the pub or somewhere. And that's just not how it works. I'm beginning to realise I need to write my way into an idea. I think you're the first person I've ever spoke to that does that, but that's really interesting. I mean, it obviously works. So. Hopefully it works. I mean, I, it's not you don't have ideas. I have ideas all the time, but when I sit down to do a book, um, if it's a series, if it's something in a series, I kind of have to start from where I was before. That makes sense. But the rest of the time, it's the freshness I like. So I always think if if, if I don't know what's going to happen, <laughs> the readers do not get a clue what's going to happen, yeah? And therefore, that's how I've done it. Then you can go back and fix it. You know, once you've written it, you have to go back and say, does it make sense? And often it doesn't. <laughs> um, do you enjoy doing research? And what's the most interesting thing you found while doing research? I'm not a biggie. Um, I tend to like using my imagination and then research tends to be when I get stuck. So I don't I don't take it as an idea and say, I'm going to write a book about 1742 and I want to find out what happened in London in 1742. What I will do though is I'll get to a point where I need to know more, more information, right? And therefore, I then is look, the internet's the go-to, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just, it's too what's the word I'm looking for? Too contradictory. Like, I'm trying to get a bit of information. I look up one page, it says this. I look up one page, it says that. And therefore, I, I kind of have to be careful. At the moment, I'm, I'm just starting something. And one of the things I need to find out about is explosives, right? That's a really dodgy thing to put into the computer. Because there isn't a safe way of saying, I'm not looking to make a bomb. I just want to know how this works. Because that's not the way it goes. So sometimes it's people... Uh, from research point of view, you know people. I just had a request from one of the authors in Australia. They're uh, looking to do um, a book which is based on uh, an industry in the north of Scotland. And I happen to know someone who knows someone that's in the industry, and I've just put them in touch. And that happens a lot from a research point of view. But I think if the most interesting thing for me was uh, when I was doing this book, Any Day Now, which is the current book, it's got, a, I can't tell you because it, it gives away the plot, but there's a Cold War part in it in terms of the, 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 the main protagonist, Catherine's mother, may or may not have had a relationship with someone who was involved in the Cold War. And, and I stumbled upon the person by mistake. I wasn't looking for that story. I was looking for something completely different. I was trying to figure out, in the 1960s, I was trying to figure out jobs in the 60s. I was trying to remember what my mum used to do. I was trying to get job titles. I was trying to think, what do you call someone that's in a job in a certain place? And then stumbled across this amazing person who then squeezed their way into my book because it was just too good a story. It's, it's a real story as well. I mean, I've had to even put an apology at the end. I really, I know I've used him, but I haven't really used him, if that makes sense. And that, that, that I love. I love research. What I don't like is when research shows. You know, like people have done it and then suddenly they say, oh, and, you know, and like, uh, as it was on the 4th of June, 2020, whatever it was, you know, President Lincoln wants blah, blah, blah. I said, no, I don't need that. I, I just, I'm not interested myself. <laughs> um, if you were going to take out one of your characters for a meal, who would you choose and what would you ask them? Um, if I was going to take a character, which one would it be at the moment? There's probably two. 
I've got a character called Craig McIntyre who was in a series of four books set in America um, who had, and I went a bit, um, not supernatural, preternatural on it. Craig, Craig, Craig was the result of an American US experiment. It's a thriller series. And one of the things that happened to him or might have happened to him is that they've unlocked something inside him, which effectively means if he's in a room with two people and they've got history, he can bring the history. He doesn't have to do anything. They'll start fighting. Like the, the anger inside people he brings out, right? And and that's how his life is. And for me, that was one of the most interesting characters because his life's rubbish. Because he goes into pubs and, and it's actually based on a real example, not a real example of a person. It actually happened to me. But you'll go into pubs and fights will break out or you'll go places and, and anger just rises around him. And, and for me, I just thought, what would life be like? So he'd be good because it would certainly be a lively party. I guarantee if I took, you know, half a dozen of us, we'd start fighting. Um, the other one I'd like to do is uh, the current book. Catherine, who's in the current book, is 16. And that's been interesting, writing a 16-year-old woman, 16-year-old girl's point of view, because you kind of have to unlock your head a little to do that. And therefore, I've had real fun doing that because I can actually imagine sitting in the room with her having a chat because I write in first person. And because I write in first person, I can only ever see through the protagonist's eyes. I can't I can't see elsewhere. So you get to know them really well as you're right, or you think you get to know them really well. And I'd like to sit down with her because I was never a 16-year-old girl. <laughs> so I'd love to know, have I got it right or am I completely wrong? <laughs> Um, are there any words or phrases you overuse, or what are your words and phrases? Because oh god, I. So I use "and" way too much. I'll say he walked through the room and he did this. They did, but and he did that. Right, I do that all the time. I then have to go through the entire book and take out ninety percent of them because it just you, you can use them in some places, but it it's to me it's a bit lazy. The second thing I use, which I hate, is adverbs in the wrong. I, I just. I always think of an adverb, and this this comes from a Stephen King book I read years ago called On Writing, that adverbs are just a lazy way of describing something. You know, if you shouted loudly, or what do you call it, uh, uh, slowly smart, uh, sorry, uh, smartly saluted or whatever, there ought to be a way before that to let the reader know what way they saluted, what way they shouted, so you don't have to say it. But I still use it, so L-Y, but you can't do the search and find and replace if you do and search, you'll be there for a month on a book. And if you use L-Y, you're there for like two months. So that too, I do. The other one I do is I get that and who mixed up all the time. I love that. I, I just, I, I, my wife reads it and goes, really? I like, she just scores it all the way through. She keeps saying, I keep doing it. And the other one is um, I'm, I'm, I'm very guilty of the sentence going on too long, right? And I'll cut it back because I, I write quite short sentences. And when I cut it back, I overdo it sometimes. And therefore, it ends up sounding like somebody speaking like a machine gun. Because like three words, four words, two words, three words, four words, two words. <laughs> you get the editor going, do you know what? That could be a sentence. <laughs> I was regretting. Oh, sorry. If you were to be picked up and transported into one of your own books as a character, which book would you choose? Um, well, I actually kind of have done by by default. So one of the, one of my secrets, or I say secret, that sounds like bigger than it should be. One of the things I know is that from my point of view, I write about places I've been. So every single place in every book, just about, I think there's a few exceptions. In fact, the last of the McIntyre books, I had to cheat a bit, but most of the rest, I've been there. 
And the reason I've been there is I'm just lazy because when you walk into a room or into a house, you have to remember the toilet's on the right, the kitchen's down the back, the wallpaper looks like this, the floor looks, not that you're going to describe it all, but then if you keep going back into the same place, you always, you know, am I turning right? Am I turning left? Are they sitting there? It's the same if you're in the street. If you're walking along the street, you turn right, you turn left, you go upstairs, downstairs into a building. So I tend to, to live in the places in my head. So I'll say I'm doing the, the current book when I was in London, but it moves to London. I, 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 my first job out of university was in London working in um, uh, Fulham. And when I was in Fulham, I had to go to work to Putney. And then I used to put, I used to go to places that Catherine goes to, pubs that Catherine goes to, because in my head, although it's it's timing wise, it's just about right for for what I'm talking about. So I kind of do live in the book. But if we're really honest, the two Morgan Cry books are both set in Spain, and we're fortunate. My wife and I are fortunate enough to own a small apartment in a town called Javier, and Javier is a lovely little town. And all I've done is change the name of the town to El Descaro for the books for the Morgan Cry books. And therefore, I do live in that. I do I, the pub that's in it, which is called Sabusca, doesn't exist. But you'll recognise it from any bad Spanish Brit pub you've ever been in. It's got currency on the ceiling, John Smith's on the bar, the play darts, the only show Sky Sports, there's copies of the Daily Mail. It's that sort of place. It doesn't exist, but I've been in a hundred of them. So therefore, I kind of do live in my books when I'm writing them. Do you hide any secret jokes or Easter eggs in your books? Hmm, Easter eggs. I, I, I will slip stuff in that is... I do this all the time. I, I will put stuff in that I know has come from someone or somewhere else, not in a deliberate attempt to, to put them in. I'll give you a perfect example. In any day now, uh, Catherine ends up, to escape crime, she forms a pop band, a rock band. That's what she does. So the, the story is basically, Catherine herself sets up to, a uh, uh, mum vanishes. And when a mum vanishes, one of the things that ends up happening is that from her point of view, she's sliding down a slope towards crime. And as a result of going down towards crime, she says, right, how do I get out of this? I'll form a rock band. And one of the times she forms it, when she goes to do that, she's at a festival. And when she's at the festival herself, one of the things that happens is she needs to have a meeting. And she doesn't know anyone in the festival. And the guy next to her shouts out to a guy, Paul, can I use your cabin, right? I know who Paul is. I know who the cabin is because I used to be involved at the edges on a thing called Tea in the Park which is a big festival in Glasgow. And I know who Paul is and he doesn't know he's in the book. But it's absolutely what I used to do to him all the time. So, yes, I do. I will drop stuff in. I love that. I love, especially, well, I mean, I love it when people find out, but if they don't know, that's even funnier, I think. Yeah. Well, there's, there's lots of people in it that have just sneakily put in, like, or places I've been or things I've seen. That happens all the time. I mean, even when I'm writing something, I'm running it through my head. Like, I'm literally running it through my head. And it's easier sometimes to say, oh, I remember her. I'll put her there. Just just might not turn into something. And sometimes the characters are going, sometimes they won't. <laughs> um, how do you choose your character names? I don't. I struggle with it a lot. One of the things I've found over the years is I end up using the same names because I'll say Colin or Steve or Mike, right? And I'll, or I'll go Mary or Joan or whatever it happens to be. And, and therefore, when I, I was writing writing this book, I kept thinking, originally, uh, I think it was Katie, and I thought, no, I had a Katie in the last book. I can't, I know Catherine and Katie, it's the same thing, but it's it's different enough that it makes a difference. 
But I know what I'll do is I'll randomly go and pick a book up or um, go on the internet or watch the telly and whoever's the next name, if it fits, whether it's a presenter, a famous person, somebody out of the book, and therefore I now end up with names. Some of the names are familiar and some of the names are a bit more left field. Because I, 10 books in, I don't know how many, how many characters you have in a book, 10, maybe, you know, in terms of ones with actual names you have to remember, times 10 books, it's a good chance I'm using the same names, so I don't, I don't like that, I try to find something that isn't. It's a question that I stopped asking, actually, and then um, I started asking again because I love the answers, like, I know that everyone finds it so hard. And there's so many names out there, and yet, yeah, you do go back to the same podcast. You can. The other thing is, if you're using it, all you have to do is go to the list of the top 10 favourite names or 100 names from this country or wherever it happens to be and go to name 66. Like, you know, don't, you know if they come from... The, the favourite names in America are number 44. The favourite names in Brazil are Brazilian number 87. And that way, chances are you're picking a name not that many people use. Yeah. To make them up. I've made them up before. And I, I got spelling wrong in one, and it stayed wrong. It, it was it Siobhan? What was the one? I can't even remember the one. I got one wrong, and I get told ages later it's wrong, and I just left it wrong. I just said that's the way they spell their name. Yeah, you're the author. It's your right to spell it however you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, so why the pen name? So Morgan Cry, which is the last two books is set in Spain. So it's a complete left field, new publisher, complete change of direction. It's set amongst the expat community on the Costa Blanca. And it's nothing like anything. Well, actually, that's not true. It's kind of a bit like the first two books I wrote called Falling in 59 Minutes. But they were set in Scotland. And the publisher's view was Gordon Brown. I had seven books out by then. Seven out with Gordon Brown, and there's two reasons. One is Gordon Brown is a pain in the tonsils as a name because of the ex-Prime Minister. Like, you put Gordon Brown into Google and you don't get me. You know, it's just, Gordon Brown just, it gets you, it used to get me in so much trouble. I remember once I was at a, a bookshop doing a signing, and uh, it was during the elections, this is 10 years ago, 2010, 11, whatever the election was back then, and Gordon Brown was standing as Prime Minister, and on the wall of the Waterstones was a poster, not with my picture on it, just Gordon Brown is signing here, uh, whatever, falling at three o'clock Saturday afternoon. And this, all I heard in the distance, I was away up the back of the shop. They give you a wee desk at the back of the shop. Nobody's coming near you because when you're not knowing, you don't get a queue of people. Actually, you end up like, a, a, you're the opposite end of a magnet to them. They walk towards you and then vanish because they don't want to see you. <laughs> And I'm sitting there and all I can hear is this woman, and I'm not going to, the language was, was quite bad, but she's going, what the, is he doing? He should be in a different country. Not do, and he was just screaming about the fact, clearly thinking I'm Gordon Brown, like not Gordon Brown. And they had to drag her all the way through the shop. And she she come up to about six inches from my face. That's how drunk she was. She looks at me and she eventually figured I wasn't Gordon Brown. But I didn't matter. She bought two books. <laughs> well... When it came to it, Morgan Cry was a change. And the reason for the name is simple. Morgan's actually my dad's name. My dad's no longer with us. He's, he died very young. But my dad, my father was a police officer. And it was his mother's maiden name, my grand's maiden name was Morgan. And she didn't want to lose it. So she gave it to my dad. And then I, as a bit of a tribute to my dad. But the downside is my youngest brother's called Morgan. So I had to phone him up and do that. By the way, do you mind if I use your name? And Cry was because it was crimey. Those two books are a separate publisher. The new book, Any Day Now, is with uh, Red Dog Press. 
and I wanted to go back to Gordon Brown. And the only thing I've done is put G in the middle, which is my middle name. Let's be honest. Gordon Brown, the ex-Prime Minister, is James Gordon Brown. That's the way his name is. When and he switched that. But the other, I've had a website, gordonjbrown.com, for so long, it actually ranks on Google. So if you put Gordon J. Brown, you get me, you don't get him. So it was logical to go back to that and use the J. So that's that's why the names. Awesome. Um, I have to ask you about Bloody Scotland and how you became involved in that. Yep. Uh, that's just, just out the 10th anniversary. So that's the 11th festival, 10th anniversary. The story, I mean, the story's quite a worn story, but the story started back in 2010 at a CWA lunch. There was two other writers there, Alex Gray and Lynn Anderson, who had been talking about a festival for ages, uh, ma mainly because you go to Harrogate and you'd find Stuart McBride and Chris Brookmeyer and Ian Rankin and Denise Minor, and there were a whole bunch of Scots who were there and nothing was going on in Scotland. And they started talking about Scottish Festival. And I've never been involved with a festival running one, other than the fact that when I worked at Tenants, I used to be the marketing director at the brewery in Scotland, they sponsored Tea in the Park, the festival. And I said, well, compared to Tea in the Park, I remember uttering the words, how hard can it be to run a book festival? <laughs> Two weeks later, me and Lynn met at Princess Square, which is a shopping centre in Glasgow, to have a chat over it. And that's how it started. From there, that's where it rolled. Uh, we got the, There was loads of other people come on at the beginning uh, in terms of the team. But that was the very start of where it came from. And it took us about 18 months to get the first one up and running. And... It's purely a celebration. It's not just a celebration of Scottish crime writing. It's just the fact there wasn't a celebration of Scottish crime writing. But we have international writers from all over the world. And the other big thing for us is new and debut authors. It's very much about trying to find the people who will be the stars of the future. So that's us just through the 11th Festival. We only get the 11th Festival finished on the Sunday and we had the first board meeting for 2023 on Wednesday. Wow. Yeah, um, is it next week? We've got another board meet. We start it starts all over again. It's just because it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, this year we had 160 authors. That's triple what we started with in 2012. It's the same. We've got about two and a half times as many events. It's just much, much bigger than it was when we started. And it was it four venues this year? So we had three main. Well, actually, we had five if you count the football pitch. We had. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we always have a, about the football. I know. No, football results. Six, six, four. It's good results. Six, four. <laughs> the best thing about that was uh, I, I was up helping run it because I, one of my jobs as a board director, brilliant, isn't it? I have to paint the football pitch. I, I just like great. So, and uh, Tim Donald, who's the guy that's marketing on board, me and him were doing the pitch and we didn't have any goals. They'd let us down the night before and eventually in the distance there was kids playing for Sterling Albion Junior Squad. And we actually, we got a guy at Sterling Albion that said, go and ask them for the goals. So we nicked these kids' goals for, for the thing itself. But at the end of the game, because it's Scotland authors versus England authors, uh, Mark Billingham was the England manager, right? And I said to Mark, can you present the trophy? Because we didn't, because I just said, would you do us a favour? And when it was 4-3 to England, he was dead happy to present it because England were winning. And then it was 4-4 and he was happy to present it because the way it's worked before is whoever had it last time, which is England, keep it. And he's, both times he said yes. And then Scotland scored 5-4 and he said, oh, I'm not presenting it. I said, oh, yeah. And then when it was 6-4, there you go, go and give it to... It was Doug Johnson he had to give. He was good about it, but the, the result wasn't the one he wanted. He was quite passionate as well on the side yeah. 
No, he was. He was. He was absolutely jumping up and down the floor. Yeah. Um. I mean, I imagine you've met all the great immigrants. Um. But is there anyone that you'd love to meet still, or anyone you'd love to get at Bloody Scotland? Um. I think we, we kind of ticked a few boxes off for me a couple of years ago. We got Stephen King, which I always wanted to do. And unfortunately, although it was it was live from America, it was Craig Robertson got the gig of actually talking to him. Swine. Got Lee Child and Andrew, Grant Andrew's Lee's brother. I did them last year. I actually know Andrew, and now Andrew's taking over re- writing the Jack Reacher series. So that was it was really good to, to, to do them. In terms of ones that we haven't had across, there's a few names that we haven't either had for a while. Uh, like Harlan Coben, we haven't had for ages, would be a great one to have. There, there are names out there, but with, with the world of writing, it just depends what they're doing, whether a book's coming out, whether they're touring, where they happen to be. It's not as easy as saying, you know, can you be on board? But I think for me, the ones I most enjoy is we do a thing at Bloody Scotland called Crime in the Spotlight, which is where a debut or a new author gets three minutes in front of a main panel, a main event, See who they are, read a little bit from the book. They are the most they are often the most interesting ones over the weekend because they're all starting on their journey. And therefore, sometimes like in the first year we ever did it, I came up with the original idea six years ago. And we only did five spotlighters over the festival. There was 22 this year. And in the first year, Graham McCray Burnett was one of them. And he's went on to be long listed in the Booker Prize twice. So I I, I remember saying, I, I keep saying to him, see, if you hadn't done that, you wouldn't have got anywhere. It's, you know, I don't even get a credit in your book for that. <laughs> so I love that. So I love that bit because you meet so many new people that are just starting on their journey. And that, that to me, you never know who you're going to meet that will suddenly be somebody famous or not even necessarily famous. They'll just really love what they do. I must admit, actually, um, because I talk to a lot of um, you and self-published authors. So, this year in particular, the spotlighters were a lot of people that I knew. And that was, to them, that was their year. That was everything. And it was awesome, you know, to see them have their few minutes. And yeah, they loved it. They absolutely loved it. I'm always so appreciative because the reality of the situation is you only get three minutes, right? Now, that, that sounds a bit, it's not only three minutes because you've been in front of a large audience and we were streaming live around the world. But in the scheme of that compared to 50 minutes on stage being interviewed, right? They are so good and so, um, it's, it's not even just appreciative. They just put so much into it. But one of the things we have to do, which you probably don't realise, is we have to rehearse each one, right? And the reason was, in the first year, we had a couple of hiccups where you can't have somebody go on for 10 minutes. You have to, so I, 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 I mean, there's a lot of email correspondence uh, and a lot of get it down to three minutes. Then in the morning, of each of the one, we're rehearsing maybe six or seven for the day. And 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 it, they all turn up, they all are spot on. You get the occasional blip and they all seem to love it. And I love that. I love the fact that they do that because some of the authors are actually, although we might have picked them like a wee while ago, some of them have actually ended up being quite big authors by the time they hit bloody Scotland. But you wouldn't know. They all just want to stand up there in front of it. And that, that's, that's what I love about it is we're just giving all these authors a, ch- a chance to do something. Some of them will do it anyway, they'll go on. And some, that might be the one big thing they do that year. I mean, I'll give you an example. I think we went through our 100th spotlighter this year. There was a hun- I think we're up to 107 of them have done it now. So each year the application is bigger and bigger. Yeah, it's something, if I speak to authors, I'd encourage them to apply for, because, yeah, 
I love it anyway. I think it's great. And um, Heather Fit, who was one of the first that was on with Ian Rankin and Abby Mukherjee, you know, she left her her bit on such a cliffhanger. So I imagine 90% of people were like... Was it Heather that finished on butt? Was it her? One of the spotlighters this year threw us completely in the head. It wasn't Heather's was really no Heather's wasn't. One I'm trying to think who it was. They read for three minutes, blah 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 da 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 da. But and then they stopped. Thank you and turned away. I was like, what? <laughs> yes. I, and I thought, yes, exactly what you want to do because that's what the audience are all going to go. What? what? <laughs> Heather, Heather was good. Yeah, she was. Amazing. Some of them are, I mean, I know why they're nervous. I'd be nervous about doing it before, but all of them sang, all 22. We had some hiccups. We had to do a few in video because of various things, but they were really good. Yeah, Greg Bartlett, I know, was a video, wasn't he? Yeah. Busy man that he is, bless him. Um, If you're able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend the day with? Um... If I was to go back, I'd love to do a Jules Verne or Edgar Allan Poe. Or a, I'd love to do a Jules Verne, actually, because I used to be a sci-fi freak. Um, and, and I just, I went back and reread some Jules Verne stuff and I just adored it. I'd forgotten how much I liked it. And, and for me, I like those sort of periods in time where that is so fresh that people were going, wow. It's a bit like Arthur Conan Doyle when he did Sherlock Holmes or Edgar Allan Poe when he did uh, the first of a crime book. If you, well, not quite, but close on to it. That sort of just talking to those people about that time would be a bit like talking to. I, I mean, I love talking to Willie McIlvany because I met Willie quite a few times. And when Willie talked about Laidlaw at the beginning, which is kind of the birth of Tartan Noir, it's a really interesting thing to talk to him about because it just didn't exist in the way he did it. And that's what made it fun to have that conversation. So I'd probably pick someone out of there. I might even pick, um, there's Effinger and why there's like two two authors that have written a book called Nightmare Blue, which is a space crime book that uh, aliens land on Earth. They have a drug that once you take it once, you're addicted for life. Found all the hygienes in the world, giving them the drug to take over the planet. That's how they're going to do it. Give the prime minister a drug, and then if you don't take it anymore, you're going to die. So they have to keep taking the drug. That's how they're going to take over the world, and it's rescued by a German private investigator and an alien with eight legs. Right. <laughs> called Nightmare Blue, and I've read it six times. Now, I have no idea why. And that I would well, I'd love to meet the two of them because I am probably their only reader now. <laughs> I, I have, I, I've actually recommended it to people over the years, and they've all read it and liked it. And every time I recommend it, I think, this is not, I don't, I have no idea why that I'm addicted to this book, but I am. <laughs> so I'd like to meet them. I would meet the two of them as well. And I'd probably like to meet Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell just because I used to like Ringworld and I used to like Lucifer's Hammer and I used to like all the books that were written by the two of them or by each of them individually. Yeah, I also totally going to take that book out when we finish talking. I know, I know. Everybody does. Everybody does. <laughs> it's good, it's a good, I don't know why, it's a good book. Yeah, totally, yeah, I'm, I'm sold. <laughs> um, if you're able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where do you like to go? I go forward. I wouldn't go backwards. I'm not. I'm not overly interested. I just like to see what the world looks like, and I'd like to do it in jumps. I'd love to do it in right. Okay, so ten years, fifty years, hundred years, two hundred years. It's. Have you ever watched uh, the Time Machine? H.G. Wells is another. I'd like to sit with. The I love the Time Machine. The bit I love most, and in, in both versions of it, 
is the bit where he first starts going forward in time and then stops. See, he goes forward like a hundred years, stops, and then goes out and finds what's happening. Then he goes a bit further forward. I never stop doing that. I, if it would be like me and a bus, I'd be off at every stop. I'd just love to, what's changed since last time? What's changed since then? I would just skip my way through the future. I'd love to do that. Going back, not really. I, I, there's nothing back that I think I'd like to go and see. In fact, I'd probably find going back would be more of a depressing experience in some ways than a good one. Yeah. But going forward, I would, I, I'd be like ten thousand years out. I would just keep going. You never get me back. <laughs> see, the future terrifies me more than the past. At least the past, you know what's gone on and stuff. The future. Oh, well. I know, but then you say that you. I always think of the future. I know the things, bad things are going to happen, but good things happen as well. And it's just there's only so long you're on this planet. And if you can see past it, I'd be away. I'd be like, all oh, right, let's go and have a look and see what's on. I, I remember I did a joke once, which was someone asked me if you had a time machine, what's the one question? If someone else was in a time machine and they were going forward in the future a hundred years, what's the one question you would want an answer to? Yep. So it was one of those ones I can't remember. My question was, is Holmes under the hammer still on? <laughs> oh, I was wondering if these senders actually. That seems to never, ever, ever, ever end. <laughs> no, these senders in Coronation Street. Yeah, they just keep going. Except for lockdown. You knew lockdown was bad when the soaps had to finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. When you can't actually shoot a soap, you know things are going backwards. That's neighbour. Yeah. <laughs> Neighbour's gone forever until someone rebirths it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, who was your first celebrity crush? First celebrity crush? Uh, hmm, good question. Let's go back in time. It's going to be a pop star because it's bound to be music. Um, goes back probably with Susie Quattro, I think, if I'm guessing. On the basis she wore tight leather trousers and I was 12. And, and I just thought this was a revelation that you could wear tight leather trousers <laughs> and be 12. Like... <laughs> That, that would be, and um, the other one I liked, which is a kind of left field one, was there was a lead singer for uh, The Sweet, which is a band called Brian Connolly. Brian Connolly's now dead. But when I first saw Brian Connolly, he had long blonde hair down to here, real feather cut blonde hair, and just looked gorgeous. It was just one of those, come on TV from 1973 or whatever it was, and I thought, really? So I, either Brian Connolly or Susie Quattro, that shows how old I am. <laughs> Yeah, usually that question ages people, and it's usually the same people as well, so it's always a fun one to ask. Um, where's the strangest or funniest place you've ever woken up? Woken up? Uh, apart from a beach in Ibiza, um, which was because of a night out and we just couldn't make it home, or we couldn't be bothered making it home. Um, I've done a few... I've done the odd one in a field, but not really woken up in a field. Well, kind of fallen asleep for half an hour and then woken back up and realised this is not a great place to be. I've woken up. I used to, my job used to be, I used to travel a lot. So I used to do a lot of America, a lot of New York. Uh, I used to do a lot of Europe. But I would do it so often, i get time shifted. So I would like, you go to New York for two days, then come home. Then you go to San Francisco for three days, come home, go to Vancouver. So because you were doing a lot of back and forward, your head got out of place. And the weirdest thing is waking up in one place thinking of somewhere else. That would happen all the time. I, it weirded me out. I'd wake up at home and I think I'm in New York. And it would take me like half an hour to figure I wasn't. That 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 did, I didn't realise how bad it, in fact, one of the reasons I quit that is because it was just getting too much doing it. And, it, that, and the other thing is you'd wake up in a plane 
And this, I, 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 this used to happen. I had to. I was flying to San Francisco one time and uh, flying out of London to, and it's a long flight out to San Francisco. And we'd done a whole bunch of stuff. We'd been in Europe the week before, done a whole bunch of stuff. I fell asleep, woke up in the plane, and I could not remember where I was going. <laughs> so. God, yeah, that sounds like hell, actually. Oh, mind fucking. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you were able to swap places with a celebrity for a day, who would you choose? Ooh, swap places? What would I fancy doing? Uh, well, I'd, I'd swap. I'd definitely swap with the lead singer and guitarist of a band. I don't. I don't really care what band. Um, in fact, interestingly, um, there's a guy called Yoho Polothema, who's Finnish rock, Finnish electronic musician. Has two bands, Villana and Sinkostan. I first found them in 2010, and uh, I love their albums. I just adore their music. And strangely, this year, when I wrote the Morgan Cry book, I actually dedicated it to him because I listen to music when I'm writing all the time. Dedicated the book to him. Also, OMD, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, because I've seen them first 1980. And uh, Trans because that's my music. So if, two things I would do is I'd go and play with Villain or Sing Cost Tan at a festival. I, would, I can't play anything, so I would just have to pretend. I'd learn three chords. Or I would DJ. And I would, I would swap with... Um, who would I swap with? Probably one of the older, probably a Carl Cox or uh would I? Or uh, Armin Van Buren or one of the older trans ones. I'd probably swap with them just to stand on stage at a festival with 20,000 people in front of me and get an hour playing on the decks. I'd completely muck it up, but I wouldn't care. <laughs> but what I would do is I've always said what you should do. I remember I was at a Transmit Festival a while back and they've got backstage, not backstage, at the VIP area, they had a DJ playing music for everybody that was sitting around having beer and just waiting to do what they were doing. And he's playing a lot of really good music. But one of the things he was doing was it was a lot of dance music. And I just, I was talking to him, I said, just, why don't you just randomly put something on that isn't? So he put Mamma Mia on. It was brilliant. <laughs> All the people in the queue for the beer tent were dancing. It was like watching them, what the full Monty when they're in the this post office and they start dancing to hot stuff. There's all these there's about 200 people all dancing to Mamma Mia. So that's what I would do right in the middle. I'd go to uh, uh, Creamfields and it'd be like two o'clock in the morning, say, and they'd be absolutely banging it out. And I'd suddenly say, right, bit of Neil Diamond. <laughs> that's what you need, lads. You've had enough of this nonsense. It's bit of Neil Diamond. And I bet they would go for it. Absolutely, and word perfect as well. Of <laughs> word perfect stories, we went to a festival once and Human League were playing, but this is not, not that long ago. But the average age of the audience is about three, like every, compared to us, like the average age of the audience is about 18. <laughs> and we were there, me and my mates were there, and two, me and my mates, two of us go to a lot of gigs, are standing right at one of the, the entrances rather than inside, just watching it. And they got to the end and they were, started doing Don't You Want Me. And all he goes, da, 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 and it started off. And the audience sung, and Phil Oakey sang, and the audience sang every word, and he didn't sing. Then when he finished, they did it again, and he sang it. So the audience went through the whole thing, and these lads next to us are belting it out. And at the end, when it was all finished, my mate turns to one of them, and he says, how, how do you know the words? Because given it was 1982 or whatever it was, how do you know the words to Don't You Want Me? And the guy, quick as a flash, turns around to my mate, and he goes, at your age, how do you remember them? <laughs> he just got doing for it. So, but for me, that's what I would do. I would swap for a DJ, probably. 
I love that. Yeah, I totally with you on that. Actually, just completely rethinking anything that I would do. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything major that I haven't asked you that you want to tell us. Not really. Uh, one thing, uh, just to let you know, the new book uh, that'll be a day. There's two things. One is it's currently in Kindle only at 99p. Would you believe? So, if anyone wants to get a copy of it, and also Red Dog Press, who publish it are doing a short story that's going free with the book if you order it. So when I wrote the book about Catherine, she starts when she's 16. I wrote a story when she was 15. You don't have to have read it, but it's a prequel to the book, just in it's a freebie. So if anyone fancies reading the books, then either Red Dog Press or you can get it on Kindle at 99 pence. And if anyone would like to find out more about you, where could they do so? So gordonjbrown.com is the best bet. So Gordon Brown, but put the J in the middle and you'll get me. And everything's on there, including the link to Twitter, the link to Facebook and the link to Instagram. That sounds like I know what I'm doing with Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. But there is a link there. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks very much, Donna. It's been good to be on. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. <laughs>